This is Tom Snagoski, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. And I'm not wearing any pants. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome to yet again another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast to guarantee that it's A, a waste of electrons, and B, you get to hear stuff. This week it's episode 479. Wow, that's a huge number. (laughs) I cannot believe I've wasted this much. I mean, done this many episodes. And it's part of the pandemic countdown here, so... Tonight, it's another quarantine day in Area 51 with Dystopian Overtones Plus. So we're working towards it. We're still in social distancing show mode because of the whole world is uh, starting to get immunized. Um, Here in Area 51, many of us uh, have have our second shot. Captain Cam, how are you doing shot-wise? I'm only up to my first. You keep missing with the second, so, you know. I, I'm you throwing syringes better. at you, and you keep ducking. What the hell? I don't have, I don't have much room to duck. This, this whole little thing you've got me, it isn't terribly big. I think you need to just work <laughs> on your aim. Oh, my aim sucks, but it's the Parkinson's. What can I tell you? My yeah, aim's yeah, shaking too bad. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, we're 279. We're getting cl- uh, 479. We're getting close to 500. And and I keep noticing that my my uh, credit card bill here, the the official credit card bill for Sci-Fi Saturday Night, keeps going up higher and higher. So, what's what are you buying me for the 500th show? I told you, Tom, it's a secret. It's not a secret because I keep seeing these huge bills from the Uncanny Valley can and jar collection. Now, what is the Uncanny Valley can collection? I don't understand this. And why did you spend $500? Uh, actually, that was just gifts for, you know, because we got to have baskets because we're going to have all sorts of people coming on. And, you know, because I got to have gift baskets, you know, for everyone. So, you know, that was what that was for. So, yeah, that's not your, your present, you know. I would ignore anything that says Amazon on it. That's also not your present. Um, uh so, but anyway, yeah, it, it's just they they, they make uh, uncanny. What valley. what what is the two thousand dollars worth of granola? I don't understand why you bought two thousand dollars worth of bulk granola. I'm hungry. You don't feed me enough here. But as soon as I get that's for you. Yes, that's ridiculous. It's the good stuff. It's maple flavored. It's got all those little. It's got currants instead of raisins. It's just absolutely fantastic. Mapo? Oh, Lord. Yeah. Yep. It's good oh. stuff. 
No. I no. mean, I've got I've got my little tank. You got me in half full of it. You know, I just reach down, grab a handful, eat it, and keep going. I'm, I'm good to go. All right, we got to stop this. You, you've you've got to. I'm... All right. What about gonna... 30, what about the thirty pounds of glitter? Why did you buy thirty pounds of glitter? Well, actually, that is a part of your surprise, but that stays between me and Zombrarian. That's just a little something we're working on. Yeah, you know, with her at the glitter factory. Uh, this is okay. This is getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But then again, when is anything with you not ridiculous? Hey, it's what I live for. So in January 2020, uh, we first met the group that produces the Aces, Aces High Jokers Wild uh, uh, series of, of books, which is this wonderfully dystopian, uh, <laughs> if you can call it wonderfully dystopian, and I think you can, uh, because it is wonderful and it is dystopian. And it's this wonderful group of misfits who, who come together in an attempt to uh, save the earth. And they kind of do and they kind of don't. And it's kind of fun and kind of interesting. And uh, so we're bringing them back again to talk about their second book, Call the Bluff, the Aces High Joker's Wild series book to please welcome back the writing duel of Olivia and Nonier, better known as O.E. Tierman. Hey, guys, welcome back. Hey, hey thanks everybody. for having us back. Uh, well, we kind of have to because we're talking about your book. And it'd be silly to talk about the book without having you guys back. Uh, so. Sure. <laughs> You're actually in book four or five of this series at this point? Yeah, we're up to book five. Uh, book five, Draw Dead, came out last month. Wow. Yep, and I'm currently, as it is snowing here in Colorado, I'm currently working on edits for book six. Whew. Yeah, it moves fast. It moves as fast as the team does, which is sometimes a little too fast for your own good <laughs> yeah it's much too fast for my own good <laughs> so talk a little bit about um this dystopian world that you grabbed us by the neck and threw us into uh you mean the one we're currently living in or the one we were writing because they're not that different uh-huh. Yep, yep. Okay. Let's go with the one you're writing about. You no, know. no, let's not. Let's <laughs> let, oh, okay. let's, right. let's let's uh yeah. Uh I mean there's uh there's a thin candy coating between the two, isn't there? Mm-hmm. It's been very funny writing a dystopian while living in one. And the nice thing about writing something like this is you have more agency than you have maybe in your day-to-day life and hopefully reading it feels the same that the difference is things change and things start getting better and you can fight back what do you mean i mean well for instance when we were working on book five um it was the middle of the deepest part of lockdown And frankly, for me, um, it was my turn to be working on the draft. Sitting down and writing and working on our characters' arcs was an awful lot better than pacing the house, saying to myself, 
okay, are my neighbors okay? What can I do? What needs to be done? There's nothing I can do. So it was much healthier for me to sit down and say, okay, let's get a chapter done today to have something to focus on. And yeah, sometimes creativity will save at least your sanity, if not your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will definitely do that for you. So the writing process is kind of like save your sanity kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, um, I know we, we talked about this when we first came on, um, but we started this series back in 2016 when the proverbial midden was hitting the windmill and politically, socially, everything seemed like it was getting much darker, much faster. And a lot of our friends were just saying over and over, we're screwed, we're screwed. And Nonier and I are basically said, fine, if we're screwed, let's take this to the darkest place we can imagine it ends up. And then let's write our way out of it. How do you end up in this dark world and make it better anyway? It's essentially a, it's very much the punk ethos of, yeah, I see your broken world and I raise you my refusal to accept it. So throughout this, the writing process, you create characters that, that, that in and of themselves are part of this broken process and take them and make them the agents of change that you need to have happen. Yeah. A lot of the reflection of what we wish we could do is in our characters, um, both for the, the change that they're creating and the changes they go through themselves. Um, so in particular, I'm looking at Aiden's arc because so much of me is an Aiden and how we write him growing more confident and growing more open and better at uplifting his team and himself and looking at myself and going, hey, that's the arc I want as well. Where can I work on that in my own life, if that makes sense? And how much of that becomes reflective within within what you see happening outside right now? Does, does it ever reflect back in, in that respect as well? It does um, in some very strange ways, actually. Um, because, I mean, if, if we're going to look at 2016 to 2021, I mean, yeah, we've been through some awful stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I, I, it's, it's been some sunny days lately. Yeah. It hasn't, all, it, hasn't, it hasn't all been as terrible as it could have been. It hasn't been <laughs> as terrible. And the other thing is, I hesitate to say this given the gravity of how many people we've lost. But in a way, COVID was the the clunk in the engine that tells you, okay, those warning lights on the engine lock really mean something, and I really do need to fix this. Essentially, all the cracks in our society gaped wide because of the extra stress of COVID. And I am seeing so many things being addressed directly that we're simply 
addressed before COVID as, yeah, that's the way society is, that's the way life is. And we're finally saying, oh, wow, no, we can't heal until we fix people not being able to take a day off of work, until we fix people's childcare situation and their elder care situations, until we as a society start owning up to systemic injustice and all kinds of problems, we can't heal from a literal virus. And this is where Olivia's optimism shines through and my pessimism does as well. Uh, I I was going... No, go ahead. You brought it right through. There you go. (laughs) Well, I'm going to say, and this is my gross analogy, it grosses everyone out, so I apologize, but I'm a farm girl. And the thing is when you or an animal gets a wound that gets infected, the first step is really gross. There's a lot of pus in the wound. But until you clean that out, until you face it, it's not going to heal. So I feel like right now we're cleaning that wound. And we refuse to look at it until it made us really sick. Well, now we have to look at it. And that's kind of what book two became as the arc. And that's why we decided to name it Call the Bluff, because everyone in this universe we've created had a sense. Okay, excuse me, not this universe, this iteration of the United States of America had a sense that everything was not going right, that everything was messed up. But in this book, we lay it all bare and make it very clear that your choices are untenable situations or standing up. And that's how our heroes begin to change, turn the tide. See, now I was going to make a joke. See, I make a joke at the beginning about uh, Commander Cam and Soylent Green, and I didn't on this one. And I didn't for a very good reason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, at least they weren't feeding it to the people, no spoilers, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, be, and, and you know, read the book, and, and the Soylent Green analogy becomes uh, very clear very early on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Disgustingly mm-hmm. early on. Thank you yeah, so much for that one. Some of it My it God, bad. that's <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. I got to that point and just went, yeah, uh, with, with, uh, yeah, yeah, let's not, <laughs> yeah. The part where Aiden goes, I'm not going to eat dinner. <laughs> or breakfast. <laughs> or, yeah, or breakfast. Have, have you had breakfast yet? No, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, and, I'll eat later. I don't want to breakfast. No, I, I don't think I'll be eating a meal for a while. Um, and, and at least to it lays to mind at, at any, any number of levels uh, the the uh, uh, the the inequities of the class system, the inequities of of the ninety nine percent, the inequities of of uh, the uh, uh, the 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 global. Uh, economic systems yeah, uh, in, in ways that you set up in book one, but go much further in book two. And, and I assume, 
uh, where uh, the economic forces are actually the the dominant uh, dominant forces of government. Well, yeah, and it's funny that you were. I totally hear you on the silent green joke, but um, that detail. Um, funnily enough, we wanted something really awful, but we also wanted something where if someone had, if someone was truly homo economicus, the economic man who had no particular moral compass and was just saying, we have a resource, what should we do with it? What would they do? But I actually used the particular detail we're talking about from a Thomas Swift um, satire piece. Right. Um, I'm of Irish and Menominee descent, and there's a great satire piece from the Gilded Age by a writer named Thomas Swift, where he writes a whole essay about how Eating to prepare babies to be mm -hmm. eaten. Yep. And at the very end, he says, well, you're making sure that Irish babies die anyway, so why not? The best part is that people nowadays don't recognize it as satire. Which is truly disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, in the book, it is not satire. No. It is truly disturbing. Yeah. Um, mission accomplished. <laughs> well yeah. done. Disturb our readers. No, wait, yeah, that's not our mission. Yeah, our readers, at least a little bit. We know we've done our job. But it's what we're trying to underline is when there are no controls beyond what gets a good price point, then yeah, guess what's gonna happen? Things that are truly untenable. And that's been true, unfortunately, throughout human history. I mean, look at the toilet paper shortage last year. Oh, oh yes. we we can go way worse than that, look at slavery. Well, I know, but, but that's yeah, the, the, toilet, the fun the example. Toilet paper. <laughs> It's it's important <clears throat> when you look at uh, what feeds a dystopian future <clears throat> is that what feeds it is the reality of a present. Yes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist simply because it exists. It exists because of what's fed it in the past. It doesn't exist in and of itself. Exactly. So when you brought this to its logical uh conclusion to to its logical point within uh this book with this group with this future you've done it in such a way <clears throat> that allows the reader to look at it if they're going to look at it as just not a blip but as an actual reality and go yeah it makes clean sense in a good way and it makes sense in a logical progression. Which so is why it's question, terrifying. <laughs> exactly. It's, it, you can't simply dismiss it. Mm -hmm. So thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. But I mean, that's, that's kind of the point of why we set this story in a dystopian and took everything to the extreme was to make people think and to make people look around and say, oh, no, that's where we could end up. 
so that we can try to encourage people to take responsibility and stand up for themselves and stand up for their communities, create those communities, and start to try to make change in incremental places. Because nothing, uh, nothing's going to happen on a big scale unless we make the baby steps together. Yeah, and I, advocate yep. for one another. Because when you only take care of your own interests, um, we're not a society anymore. Or not one anyone wants to live in. But then you create for us, within this dystopia, this group of ne'er-do-wells. And within this group, each of them is, <clears throat> in their own way, a fairly broken individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a point that I wanted to, I wanted to uh, mention as well. Because I'm watching a lot of growth in these fantastic characters you've, you've created. There was one, though, and I don't know if we talked about this last time on the air, but in your previous book, there was Tweak. And I will honestly say in the first book, Tweak tweaked me because it was just so it was like nails on the chalkboard. But then we watched the character continue to grow a bit in this next book. And you begin to understand some things about Tweak, things I can't get into because those are spoilers. But one thing I'd like to get into, because it's near and dear to my heart, is you, and you did start it with Aiden in the first book, is you start talking about the importance of not just physical health, but mental health. Mm -hmm. And this seems to also be a very important theme and one that I rather enjoy that you're taking the time to cover. And, and how are you going to bring in, Are you going to bring in the character that I want you to bring in now? Omi? Yeah. Or is there another one? No, Omi? That's, yeah. Omi. I yeah, love Omi. Exactly. She's my and baby. Omi, and Omi is the Omi is the way because again because Tweak is not comfortable with anybody else. Omi becomes it's Omi's already Aiden's therapist. Now it, Omi becomes Tweak's therapist and is helping Tweak, or at least that's where this is heading. And this is this is what I like is that you're beginning to show that there is some importance to also making sure that we are all mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious, you know, where does that come from? Where does, what inspires that? Uh, that was actually one of the things we really wanted to include from the beginning. Uh, the diversity and the mental health aspects were kind of our soapboxes, for lack of a better term. Uh, both Olivia and I have our own mental challenges. We both struggle from uh, various forms of anxiety I also have depression and ADHD. And so having survived in a society in which mental health care doesn't really exist the way it needs to, um, we kind of wanted to show characters who were creating healthy coping mechanisms and were reaching out for help and show that process of going from that really dark place of feeling completely alone and completely lost in your own struggles to learning how to take care of yourself and learning how to create that community and knowing that it's okay because oh, no yeah. one really did that for us. Yeah. And this is um, near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm going to open up about this a little bit because I think people need to know that there are resources, but I come from a very strong family and we do our work and we are soldiers and we are farmers and we are tough 
and we have between one and four suicides every generation. So I have enough of a history of suicide in my family that I am a real advocate of getting mental health and normalizing mental health because to be really honest, I would still have some cousins and an uncle who I love if our mental health resources were both normalized and accessible, you know, accessible and culturally accepted because, yeah. you know, we hang on, we don't, we don't break. It doesn't work. We do break. And when we break, we go all the way. Yep. And I can, I can second that because I've had the same losses in my family and I, my too, I too, I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety in my life, which is why this, what you did in this book resonated and made me smile, made me happy um, because it's like, we do need to get these messages out. And I love the fact mm-hmm. that at the end of the book, you have all of these sections that talk about, you can go here for help. You can go for your help. And these people are there for you. And for somebody like with me, you know, when I was old, when I was younger, there wasn't that support. Now that I've gotten older, I'm seeing more and more. Boy, I sound like an old man. Well, I am. Um, but, <laughs> no, you're but, not. Shut up. Okay. Yeah, you're the old man. Sorry, I keep forgetting. <laughs> but, but is that, you know, the the things that I went through when I was younger that I just like, like you said, Olivia, just be strong, just to take it. You know, mm-hmm. you know. It, it, stay strong don't bend you know just be rigid and you'll get through it doesn't always work you know sometimes you have to bend a little sometimes you have to you know get help you have to go find somebody that you trust to talk to and they can hopefully guide you to the right path which I mean I know personally I found somebody that does that for me and it really helped me I mean Dome can tell you you know when he first met me, I just did booking. I didn't come on the air. And the only time he got me on the air, I said like three words because I was so terrified. And now, now <laughs> listen to me right now. Sympathy, because I know that feeling. <laughs> this, thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Now, and listen to me now. I, you can't shut me up. Can't so shut him up. Get a word. <laughs> Jesus, what a pain in the ass. But this yeah. is the kind of growth that can happen when you get that kind of mental health. Mm-hmm. Well, and and what you're saying is so integral to what we're trying to do, because one of our pet peeves, both of us, is people will say, oh, you should get help for that. And that gets the response of, if I had 10 minutes to yell at you about how hard it is to sign up for therapy and mm-hmm. then pay for it, or even I would just, that. I don't know where to look. Say, Shut up. Or, yeah, help me find it. Yeah. yeah help where do I yeah, go? Well, and this is something that's come up for me personally. Um, I have a, um, so most of my family's problems stem from a specific disorder, which is hyperinsulinemia, which means we make too much insulin and too much adrenaline, but that can tip over very easily into depression because you burn your body out basically. Um, And the reason I'm mentioning it is because I'm on the lucky end of the spectrum. I'm just anxious and very, very fast moving. Um, But I have days where just getting on the phone terrifies me and I'm pretty high functioning. So one of my lower functioning cousins or family or anybody who's having a really hard mental health time 
the second therapist who hangs up on you when you're down in the dark, um, you're done. You have no more energy left to call another person and hope they'll help. So yeah, we wanted people, well, first of all, when we wrote Omi, it was how nice would it be to just turn this thing on at the when it works for my schedule and know it will work and at least help me get my head on straight without jumping through every hoop in existence. And not have wouldn't to that pay be a nice? That's, fucking that's the second part of it. Yep. That's the daydream. Like, wouldn't it be nice to just have mm -hmm. a therapist who answered when it works for me? Yep. But yeah, the other part of that is we want people to say, oh, man, I feel that, and then flip to the end of the book, especially younger readers. Flip to the end of the book and go, oh, oh, there are resources? Or, or Jesus Christ, have there be universal goddamn health care? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I could go on for a while on this one. We oh, could. you and me both, sweetheart. And you and I'll me tell both. You, yeah, I'll tell you, um, like I said, I'm pretty high functioning most of the time. But after the third, well, we can't help you, I felt like giving up when I was looking for some help. And I have an amazing general practitioner who did get me hooked up after I went to her and said, Dr. So-and-so, I'm having no luck. You said I should get this addressed. And she was like, oh, are they, are they, she, she's very direct. So she was cursing which I love personally because it loosens things up. Mm -hmm. But she would sing, are they pulling your chain? Okay, we got you hooked up. Let's go over here. Yeah, I, I mean, it like, took me three or four years to find a therapist I could afford. And that's sure. ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. And if somebody's deeper down in the dark, they're not going to be able to make that. And I'm so glad you did, Nonier. But I worry about the people who don't have that mental stamina mm -hmm. to make it that far. Yeah. So yeah, that's why we put that in. But yeah, writing tweak, um, I'm both smiling and um, snickering up my sleeve because I'm, I'm the one who designed tweak and I'm always slightly happy when people say, she bucked me in the first book, but now I like her. <laughs> she bucked the crap out of me in the first book. Oh yeah. Well, our, our she was annoying in the first book. She's a snot. <laughs> She's a little monster. <laughs> but once you realize that this kid has been incarcerated from the ages of 11 to 16, and yes, she lied about her age. Um, she's not 18. And then, then I'm pissed off at the two of you because you've got kids, <laughs> you've got kids juggling with goddamn hand grenades. Oh, and yeah. I'm sitting there and yeah. I'm going, what the hell is wrong with you two? <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you two? There's a lot wrong with us. Yeah, I know. Just putting it out there. I know. And I love you anyway. Kids what the hell? supposed to have the hair. <laughs> you got a hold of them. There's a difference. No, there's no difference. You <laughs> let them get a hold of them. And you know it. <laughs> so, so look, here's, here's the deal. You've got an interesting book. You've got an interesting story. You've got interesting characters. But what you've actually got, what you've actually got is the backstory, which means more than anything else. And as people are reading the story, what we have to realize is that there's more going on than just a story. 
there's more going on than just a plot. There's more going on than just a bunch of people. There's the long story. There's the long game. There's the life. There's the Huh, and I'm not sure how to put it, but I, I I understood about halfway through the book, the first book, and as I started reading the second book, I went, great, they didn't just drop it off, they figured out that they want to keep this running, that this, that this long form is much more important than the individual stories, that the individual stories is what makes the long form work. And that's what's really working here. So, you know, you come for the burgers and fries, but you stay for the movable feast. Thank you. If that makes sense. Yeah, that is quite the compliment. Thank you. What's really fascinating is when we very first started writing this, we were kind of writing it as a slice of life in a way. We were jumping from this is interesting, this is interesting, this is interesting. Um, and so hearing that we actually pulled it all together into a compelling and interesting piece in the long form is, is always nice to hear. Well, I think from my point of view, from my vantage point, the story is... I'm an old guy. Words are hard in general, especially <laughs> after the last year and a half. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I'm an old guy. I look at what's going on now. And I can't look at it from the standpoint of what happened on January 6th. Yeah. I can't look at it from the standpoint of what happened a year ago with the pandemic. I can't look at it from the standpoint of what happened four and a half years ago with an idiot for in the White House. I look at it from the 60s. I look at it from the 70s. And when you take that long view, what's happening now is a long view. And it makes much more sense in that sense Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get so, a little bit meta on you here. Um, back okay. in the 60s, they talked about the age of Aquarius. Well, the whole point of the age of Aquarius is it's a thousand years long and it's a process of letting go of comforting lies and coming into an understanding of and a harmony with the world as it really is and a healing of all those old lies and telling true stories. Well, we're only less than 100 years into that, so we're still in the slog of (laughs) uncovering all the old lies and all the comfortable old systems that don't work anymore and facing up to all the muck that has to be raked up and cleaned out. I mean, I would argue that a lot of yeah. these systems never worked in the first place, but that's just me. And I was watching an interesting uh, documentary on 
how when we had to take a year off for COVID and we gave the world, the earth, a year off, uh, the world got a little bit better. Yeah. The, the animal kingdom got a little bit better. The oxygen in the planet got a little bit better. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's, when you take a long view of things, as you guys are doing with this book, I think, um, I'm anxious to see how that long view works. Because you, you, there's a lot of dirt in that long view right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there is. But it's and, worth slogging through. Well, that's a lot of dirt that we do try to at least address throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to say that by the end, hopefully we'll have a, I don't want to call it a blueprint, but something to inspire people to move in that, that direction, that better direction. But uh, we'll, we'll have to see how we pull it off. <laughs> and if it's any comfort to, everyone who's talking and everyone who's listening, we're not alone in this. I mean, Riviera's son is writing the Dandelion Insurrection series. And there are a lot of people looking at the long game and saying, okay, this is the story up to now. The pen's about to be in our hands. What story are we telling from here? But um, I'm not that old, but I love history. And so I tend to take the long view as well. And I'm drawing patterns from uh, various times from post-World War II up into now, and also way back from the Gilded Age up into the World Wars. And when were we at our best? When we had a lot more safety nets as a culture, when we said, hey, we're all one country. And in and then, we were still excluding people. We were still excluding agriculture workers. We were still excluding domestic help, as they used to call it. And those people were still written out of laws designed to support um, workers. Well, and, I mean, that's why I argue that a lot of these systems have never properly worked because they only worked for a fraction of the country who are white cishet and generally already relatively well off. And I agree completely, but this is what I'm saying. We have the pen in our hands now. So Mm -hmm. it's time to start rewriting those things and saying, okay, now how do we take care of everybody and how do we do this for everybody? And yeah, I mean, we're two fiction writers. We're not going to solve everything, but we're hoping to show people by writing this series, see step by step, you can do something. You can make things better. Even if better today is just, hey, look, we planted seeds. Hey, look, we got fresh eggs. But sometimes better is, hey, look, we found a way to make sure that nobody dies from this again. Hey, look, we've found a way to make sure that everyone eats tonight. 
And if you don't ever take that first step, nothing ever happens. Exactly. I'm going to go on a little tangent here. I've been joining um, solar punk groups on Facebook, partly for fun and partly for research. Yes, they it really bothers me. People will put up an interesting piece of technology or research or an interesting thing. And five people will jump on it to say that'll never work. That'll never scale. And my response is, dude, have you tried yet? Because we don't have time <laughs> for despair and nihilism anymore. We don't have the time. We have to start trying everything that is within our power and our moral compass to trust. If the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, then Get off high, Joker's Wild is the single step towards yes. the future. And yes. it's been a pleasure to watch these steps take place. Uh, join, join the, uh, join the march. And uh, Olivia and Noni, it's always wonderful to have you with us. It's fun to read where you're going. I've enjoyed it. I'm going to keep enjoying it. Thanks for coming on the show tonight. Thanks Thank for, you. again, inviting us back, reading our books, talking about our books, uh, giving us the opportunity to be on our soapboxes. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, oh, don't, no. don't be sorry. Don't yeah, never apologies. Sorry. Never no, apologize no, 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 for no. getting up there on the soapbox. At More some fun point, you should be allowed to have, absolutely. At some and, point, uh, I'm going to drag this apology habit out of you. I think we should start right now, so stop doing that. <laughs> oh, I've, been, I've already been trying for like a decade, and this is her <laughs> being much better than she was. Excellent. And uh, yeah, we'll do this again sometime soon. Yeah, anytime you want, we're open. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp and a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. That sounds good. That sounds perfect.